Good morning, church. Online campus, good to see you guys. Glad you guys are here. I'm Joel, I'm the Connect Pastor, and uh, you guys doing okay? Doing good? Doing great? Mediocre? I don't know if I buy it, because uh, NBC poll took a news uh, kind of thing, and they wanted to know uh, if people thought the country was going in the right direction, and 75% of us said no. It was not going in the right direction. So I find that so fascinating because we, no matter what things we throw out there, whether it be a political idea, whether it be a social issue, uh, we have tons of different faiths. Like we're just separated in so many areas. But one thing we could agree on is that things aren't going right. That's the one thing we could agree on, which doesn't make any sense to me. You know, we're talking about bitterness today and, and anger and, and frustration and the hurt that's behind all of that. And I got to say, man, like no one sets out to be a bitter person. Most of us can maybe think of a bitter person. Most of us think I definitely don't want to be someone who holds on to anger and, and, and pushes that out of other people. We, we, we can agree on that. We think that that's not us. But I got to tell you, man, anger can come from anywhere. And just to give you an illustration from two weeks ago. We had this Thursday that was a 70-degree day. Do you remember that? It was amazing for me um, because I really feel like down in the wintertime. So when I get the sun shining in February, it was uh, my wife is a school teacher, so she had parent-teacher conferences. So I got to go pick my girls up from school, and we spent the whole evening together. I, like, stopped at the grocery store to get hot dogs because I wanted to have something to grill out. And uh, we stopped by a park on the way home, and they played. And when we got home, we went straight out to the backyard, and it was just idyllic. You know, the sun was shining, it was warm, it was lounging, and uh, the neighborhood kids came and played with, with my girls, and you would just think that this was like the perfect day and nothing could go wrong, but it was time for dinner, and uh, my girls didn't want to stop to play. So, you know, okay, that's a little frustrating. They have to like, like deal with their whining and complaining and stuff like that. And then at dinner time, you know, you got the typical, typical like, finish your meal, like stop playing with the dog, don't feed the dog, like eat your vegetables, you know, it's like all that stuff that kind of just builds up, and then it's like I made them smoothies, and they were like grateful for the smoothies, but then, um, but then they like wanted extra treats and stuff like that, and I just wanted to like draw some lines, and we just weren't doing well with those boundaries, and I was starting to get frustrated, and finally we get to the end of the evening, and it's time for bed, and I tell them to go upstairs, and you've been there before as a parent probably, where where you're like, did you not hear me? Like one goes off and like does some different activity. The other one sits there as if I didn't say anything at all. And I lost my cool and I shouted at them, get upstairs. I just couldn't believe that like my perfect day had ended <laughs> in anger. And it, it made me think like, yeah, this can come from so many places. The reasons why I tell you about all that is because, man, we're, we're going to tackle a difficult subject, a subject that you guys probably didn't come to church this morning thinking that you were going to try and unpack and expose in your own life, and I'm just going to ask you to trust me. You may not know me from anywhere, but I got to tell you something about this church. We believe in God's Word, and while God's ways aren't always the easiest ways, they are what's best, and, and I, I want to give you just what, what he says on the topic, not... You don't have to take home anything that I say that doesn't match up with God's word, I guess, is, is what I really want to say. Because when we're talking about bitterness, 
it's an emotional state of feeling let down and unable to do anything about it. It's, it's not just anger. It's also like feeling like you're out of control and how to help things. It's, it's stuff that you've held on to for a long time. And, and really, in a biblical sense, it's, it's just a lack of being able to forgive. So let me tell you this. Bitterness, it's a prison. And Jesus came to set you free. And that's why this is a big deal. He, Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins, it's us, is a slave to that sin. And then he goes into a family metaphor. He says, now a slave has no permanent place in a family. But a son does, right? A son belongs forever to that family. And then he switches to talk about himself. He says, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And that's a big promise. That is something that we want to hold on to. That's something that we want to strive for, right, church? We want to be free. Whatever it takes. If Jesus died to give it to us, you want that, right? Psychology Today uh, describes it like this, that righteous anger, even righteous anger, unchecked, eventually becomes the corrosive ulcer that is bitterness. Now, I want to say this about bitterness, is that it can come from real, legitimate places of hurt. You probably can't find anybody who has an ex that, that isn't upset with and, and harboring some sort of um, bitterness towards them because those come from legitimate places of hurt. Maybe you work at or used to work at uh, an environment that was not healthy, that was not good for you, that you had people who did things that were, that were not beneficial for you, that, that actually harmed you. And, and that was, was not good. You can hold on to that stuff forever. But you need to know the difference, though, between anger and bitterness because everyone gets angry. Jesus got angry. And I got good news for you that God never asked you not to get angry. He never asked you to get, He told us not to sin in our anger. And He also told us to forgive. And so that's, that's where we want to tackle the bitterness that's in our lives. And so, first place I want to start is a letter written to people that's uh, titled Hebrews. And if you have your Bible online, if you can open up a, a, another browser and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Paul is writing to this group of Christians that are really feeling on the outs because they're trying to figure out this following Jesus thing, and it is pulling them into direct conflict with the people and the customs uh, of the culture around them. And quite honestly, many of them are thinking about giving up. They're like, man, if I have to just keep fighting this, and I'm not even sure that it's worth it. And they're, they're at that, they're into their ropes, and so... Paul writes to them these crazy instructions. I mean, this really difficult stuff. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 14. He says, work at living in peace with everyone. I bet some of you just in your mind are thinking, that's a joke. Like, I can't live at peace with everyone. But he gets even harder when he says, and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And look after each other, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And then he says, watch out, 
that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. That is a good verse. In fact, you would be forgiven if you were charged with reading multiple chapters a day, like maybe in a Bible reading plan, and you read through that and you just kind of skimmed and didn't let it impact you. Because it's got, you know, it's just some good Bible words. You know, it's got peace and Lord and grace in it. But when you stop and you just focus on that, work at living at peace with everyone, work on living a holy life. And then, for some reason, Paul says something about bitterness and not letting the roots of bitterness grow up in these people's lives. Somehow they're connected or somehow they, uh, they, they work together. And we got to be worried about that because he says, watch out the no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Why do you think Paul put that in such a prominent place in this verse? Have you ever been frustrated with a group of Christians with the church? Have you ever given up, turned your back on a small group, or been angry about some, somebody's response on Facebook that you're like, oh, those people should know better? I know you have. I, I talk to so many people who come through the door and they tell me about their previous church. I get it. There's, there's anger. There's frustrations out there. But look at this. Um, this must be a big deal for our soul. I've heard it said that bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping, hoping that it will kill your enemy. And, and that's not the kind of experience that you and I want. But we're talking about real issues here. I, I'm not talking about just like somebody cut you off at traffic and you need to forgive them. No, we're talking about people have suffered paralyzing abuse. People have gone through life-altering trauma. Some people have been dealt blows that you don't fully recover from. And we, not we, God, God knows that. And, and if you believe in a creator of the universe that created you and knows you and cares for you and gives you instructions on the best, freest life that you can have, then you've got to know that he loves and he cares about that. And so I just want to give you a, the main point f from the beginning here, and that is the only antidote that we have to the bitterness that will naturally grow in our lives if it left unchecked. The only, the only th kryptonite to that is forgiveness. And that, that's difficult because it, it might seem like we're just giving pat answers but no, we're going to get into the weeds with you here because we have an epidemic of bitterness because we've created a world where anyone can throw out their bitterness at any time and we can broadcast it over the entire internet. We can ask people to join us in our frustrations and our anger and when people push back or don't or, or, or speak another side that only frustrates us more, that they don't see things the way that we do. And it starts the cycle of anger that can lead to bitterness all over again. But make no mistake about it, from that passage in Hebrews, our bitterness is not only bad for us, it's bad for others. It's like weeds in your yard <laughs> that, that if left to seed and flower and stuff like that, those weeds are never going to just stay in your yard. It's a problem. If, if my kids 
notice that I'm harboring resentment for their in-laws or for a group of people or for civic leaders or anything like that, they're going to think a couple of things. They're going to possibly share that resentment and think that that's natural. And they're also going to think that it's okay to harbor those kinds of resentments. What are they going to do when they see me complaining about people, when they, when they see me bringing up problems that I have with, with their mother? What, what is going to go on in their minds? I'm not living at peace then. In fact, I am not fostering the freedom that Jesus died to give me. That's why we got to take very seriously what Paul says, that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up in us to trouble us, corrupting many. There's, there's something communal about this idea of dealing with our own bitterness. And that's fascinating to me because the word corrupting there, it means like polluting, contaminating, like gives me the idea that if I let my bitterness seep out, it is going to get into waters that were previously pure. And that's, that's on me. This doesn't mean that it's never okay to bring up problems or issues. What, it, what we're talking about here is that when we invite people into our bitterness, we become a stumbling block to their peace and their path to forgiveness. Chris Beal says that, One bitter person can disband a small group. One bitter person can disrupt a happy occasion. You've been there when one bitter person can ruin a wholesome family moment. And you don't want to be like that. We want to know how to kill the roots of bitterness that have grown up in our lives. And the first one is real simple. We expose them. You expose roots to kill them. That's that's what happens with our sin. It works best in darkness. And Paul says to the Ephesians, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. When our sin, when, when our problems and stuff like that are brought out into the light, when we confess, when we're open about them, they don't they don't fare so well. That's not where they work. Our sin works best in darkness. So I want you to ask yourself, the stuff that you're holding on to, have you spoken about it? Have you written it down? Have you been honest with yourself about it? And have you sought true counseling on this issue? It it might be that you're angry with God for the loss of a loved one. It might be that you've been hurt by a figure that you really trusted. And they let you down, and so you're drawing all these conclusions about how um, everyone else must be the same way. Or that, that you know, sin shouldn't have been a problem in that person's life. Maybe you're harboring judgment towards a group of people because they don't see the world the way that you do. They're not like you. Maybe you're bigger with a coworker for things that they've gotten that you haven't. Maybe you're upset about a family member who's treated differently than you are. And you're probably bitter with an ex-partner that's harmed you for no good reason. But remember this. There's plenty of hurt to go around. And bitterness is a prison of our heart. If we continue to live in that, if we continue to indulge in self-imprisonment, it is denying the work of God in your life. 
Jesus came to set us free. So we pray, God, help me get out the roots of bitterness. What am I holding on to? Show me the bitterness that maybe I've pretended is, is just a, a frustration. And God, can you help me handle my hurt? I think, I think we hold on to our pain for a couple of reasons. I think if we hold on to it, we feel like we're in control, Right? Where we don't know what will happen if we expose our, our, our hurt and, and don't have a plan. We, we don't trust anybody else with it. I think we hold on to our hurt because bringing it out into the light, we're, we're afraid that we'll have to relive it. And I think one of the biggest reasons why we hold on to our hurt is because we, we're afraid that if we let it go, that the person or persons who caused it will get away with it. And that's not right. And we'll get more into this, especially next week too, but I just got to tell you, after you expose the roots of bitterness, what you have to do is cancel that debt. You got to decide that they don't owe you the way that you want them to. And this is hard, I know. I know, I have no right to ask this of you. I have not lived your life. I have not experienced your pain. And I have no right to tell you what to do. But that guy that so many of us call our savior, they embarrassed him. They brought him before a mock trial with bribed witnesses. And when they convicted him of false charges, they whipped him with a whip that tore open his back because the tails had glass shards in them. And then out of humiliation, they stripped him and made him carry his own instrument of death to the point where his physical body just couldn't. And they had the nerve to mock him in the midst of all of it, spitting on him and and telling him why he can't save himself if he claimed to be the Son of God. Roman execution is not an efficient way of killing someone. Jesus suffocated over a matter of hours. Roman execution is meant to instill fear in people who are watching it. It is meant to be inefficient and painful and inhumane. And two other men, both criminals, were led out to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them if they do not know what they're doing. Before his last breath, before he finally succumbed to the wounds in his wrists and his hands and suffocated, he said, Father, forgive them. Not, I'm going to come back and and get my revenge. Not, I really am the son of God. You've messed this up. No, he said, Father, forgive them. I know that's heavy. 
<laughs> let, me, let me share something funny with you then. Um, my sister told me about a shopping trip that she was on. And uh, she was browsing through the aisles. And uh, she saw a woman down at the end of the aisle who had a really nice-looking purse that she liked. And so she walked up to the woman. My sister's friendly. And she said, I, I love your purse. Where did you get it? And the woman, for some reason, turned with an air of superiority and told her, it's Louis Vuitton. I guess that answers the question. Is that, does that answer the question? It, can you only buy Louis Vuitton at, purses at Louis Vuitton stores? Is that the way it works? I don't know. Either way, I don't think that it really calls for like the hoardy-torty kind of response, does it? Um, to, to somebody who was seemingly being nice. Um, and uh, it just seems like, you know, does this woman think that she's like Meryl Streep from, from Devil Wears Prada? Like, that's, this isn't the way that we interact with people. But the best part of the story is that this all took place at a family dollar store. <laughs> I love that. I love that story. Because... Sometimes we forget our place. We forget our place. It's easy to do, but church, we forget our place. Because I want to grant you that in your pain and in your arguments and in your suffering and even in the bitterness that you're trying to hold on to, you might hold the higher ground. You might hold the moral higher ground in these and these conflicts. But do not forget your place. Your molehill of a high ground is nothing in comparison to the Everest that is the holiness of God. So don't forget your place because he forgave you. And he's asking you to cancel other people's debts. And that's not easy. And it's not an overnight process. No one's expecting you to, to go out of here and say, I heard this amazing preacher, and he convinced me to let go of all my frustrations and pain. I just walked out of the door. That's not, it's probably not what Jesus uh, envisions for you, but he is in control. You may have heard it said that, that time heals all wounds, and this is not my field, but I don't buy that. I do not subscribe to that theory. There are things um, from years ago that feel the same amount of pain as they did the day of. I bet you feel the same thing, where like, if I even remember it, it feels like ripping the scab off of that wound and re-exposing the pain. I don't, I don't necessarily buy that, but that's why I think that it's fair for you as a human and me to have second thoughts about whether or not Jesus can handle my pain. I think it's okay to question that. But you need to be able to trust him. And, and you can do that by ask, ask Mary Magdalene if Jesus can heal your pain. She's a woman who was lost and adrift and, and had demons inside of her. Ask her if Jesus can handle your pain. Ask, ask Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, 
who died, and they were all weeping together with Jesus. Ask, ask them if Jesus can handle your pain. You could ask Horatio Spafford, guy who lost his wife and his children in a shipwreck, if Jesus can handle your pain. He took the same transatlantic journey that his whole family died in, and during it, he wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. You could drive to Nashville right now and, and ask Robbie Gallaty if Jesus can handle your pain. Robbie was um, a heroin addict um, who had watched many of his friends overdose near him, and yet Jesus rescued him and helped him recover from his addiction, and now he preaches to thousands. I, I'm telling you, you can ask Robbie, and he'll tell you that Jesus can not only handle, but also redeem your pain. Your pain might be immense. And it won't be a snap your fingers kind of thing, but you can, you can take this to the bank. You can trust Jesus with your pain. It's not easy, and Jesus is going to ask radical stuff of you because that's the crazy thing. He doesn't ask us just to forgive our enemies. The way of Jesus is to bless our enemies. I, I, I almost forgot this verse, but in Luke 6, 27-28, Jesus himself says to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. This is... Again, not an overnight process, and maybe it's a step too far to think about praying for those people who have caused that bitterness in your life, but think about it as maybe a step in the road to, to letting go and to, to killing all of these roots. Because this is, these are Jesus' words. Paul picks up on it in another verse that even sounds a lot like our Hebrews one when he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another and do not be proud or be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone and if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Man, church, no one knows how difficult this is for you. But he asks us to bless those who persecute you, to bless and do not curse. That repaying evil for evil, that is the natural thing that will, that will happen if we just let our, ourselves take over. But Jesus promised us full life. He came to set us free. And that includes letting go of our bitterness and even blessing our enemies. So I want to do something like Jesus and radical and following, instead of us just praying and, and, and trying to apply the things, let me help you in that first step. Let me end by praying for our enemies. Will you join me? Jesus, you decide what's right, and we don't. And um, that's hard to swallow. And, um, but Jesus, you forgave me, and you forgave us, and so we want to pray for those who have caused hurt, 
that is rooted inside of us and has festered. Yeah, we, but we want to pray for those people. We want blessings for them and not curses. Uh, we want them to see the error of their ways so they don't cause harm to others. And we pray for their forgiveness in the same way that you have forgiven us. God, we pray for your mercy to wash over them like it has us. And God, we pray that you forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen.